your reality is spiritual. His truth is his truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. <laughs> How to begin. Um, do I look terrified? <laughs> Either I hide it well or... <laughs> if I don't look scared, I am a little bit um, because of what the Lord is asking me to talk about. In fact, I just want to tell you a little story here. We, we probably shouldn't do a show of hands on this one, so I'm not going to say how many of you. I'm just going to say, I hope that some of you have the blessing of being married to an incredibly wise person like I am. I've lost count. There's no way I could keep count of how often the word of the Lord comes to me through my wife. And I'm so thankful for that. So this week, I'm, I'm like a blank slate, right? And that doesn't happen to me very often. I usually have plenty of things that are on my heart that I, I feel like needs to be said and will bless. And, uh, but I'm, I really wrestled and I struggled. And it was really through my wife that I was able to get to a point that I was like, okay, I, I know what I'm supposed to do. And it's because the Lord's been impressing on me to teach on glory. You saw that come out if you were here last week. That came out at the beginning of the message. Who can talk about the Lord's glory? I mean, like, really? You want, <laughs> you want me to teach on your glory? Who's qualified to do that? And so I think the reason I was a blank slate was because I wasn't really in obedience. I was really kind of fighting with the Lord. And my wife said, are you sure? She said something to the effect of, you mentioned last week teaching on glory. Are you sure that it's not just that you're scared to teach on glory? <laughs> and of course, I'm like, well, I'm thinking inside myself. I don't think I said it out loud. Well, that's the end of the conversation. I'm not feeling encouraged. <laughs> right? So, and then the Lord gives me, and then I'm sitting there saying inside myself, Lord, I'm not even qualified to do that. And then he gives me an image of, and actually, I, I'm pretty sure I heard these words. You sound a little bit about, a little bit like Moses when he was whining about not being qualified. And uh, I'm pretty sure at that point I left the room and I knew that I was going to be teaching on glory. <laughs> so here we go. You're going to have to bear with me. I worked really hard on this because it is hard work. Talking about God's glory is not an easy thing. So I think that what that means is you're going to be working really hard and you deserve every minute of it because I worked really hard. <laughs> so let's, let's just pray. Let's just start this with prayer. Um, Lord, I, th I thank you that uh, you want us to know about your glory. The truth is, Lord, it's probably good that I don't feel qualified because the truth is I'm probably never qualified to, to teach anything that you want taught. My, my qualification is you, and so we ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak what you want to say, to take your word and make it alive and transforming for us. I just put this into your hands to say exactly what you want to say to our hearts this morning. I'm counting on it. In the name of Jesus, amen. So, okay, so we're going to talk about glory. I just, I feel strongly to start like this. You know that we serve the one true God. And 
Faith in the one true God. His way is absolutely upside down to every other religion. There's about a hundred different ways, a hundred different aspects where we could talk about how he is different than every false god. I mean, so far we're good, right? That's obviously true. Well, when we talk about his glory, when it comes to glory, he is also completely upside down to every other false religion, every other false god. So just walk with me for this in a minute. We're not going to take the time to go into a bunch of scriptures. We could, but you'll remember this. You'll know what I'm talking about. Whenever the scriptures mention holy ground, our God says, take off your shoes or something to that effect. Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Remove the veil. The glory of the Lord is here. Something has to be removed. A barrier has to be removed if we're going to encounter the glory or the holiness of God, right? Whereas, now think about it. Every other religion says you better bring your mat, right? You you better lay your mat out. The idea is if you're going to approach the glory of those false gods, you bring your mat. You have to bring a separation because those gods don't invite you into their glory, into an experience or an encounter with the glory of those false gods, right? Do you see that? Our God says, if you're going to encounter me, if you're going to encounter my presence and my glory, you're going to remove the barriers. He invites us in to his presence. He wants relationship in glory. You see that? So that's really, that's really going to be our starting point. First of all, is your mind blown already? We're going to look at this in detail, but we serve a God who loves you so intimately that his invitation is for you to be in glory with him, to encounter his presence and he is glory. Does that make sense? You see why I had to wrestle before I stand up here and teach about this. That's our God. Okay, so go with me to 1 Corinthians, start in chapter 6 and verse 19. And what we're going to do first is we're going to talk about you. You know, usually I try to have a primary passage and we move through it. That's really not what's mostly going to happen this morning. We're going to start by, we're going to go through scriptures that are how God sees you. Your God, who is nuts about you, thinks about you in these ways. He has these intentions for you as it pertains to his glory. Does that excite anybody? Okay, that's not even the good part, but that's good. The context here, it was talking about sexual immorality. Okay, that's not going to be the topic this morning. So in verse 19, after a discussion about that, it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Okay, you know that. So then it says, And you are not your own. You were bought at a price. What was the price? Jesus Christ himself was the price to buy you. And then here it is. Therefore, glorify God in your body, and in your spirit, which are God's. So the only reason I'm starting here is because I want you to see that he actually commands us to glorify him. 
Now, last week we started on this, that how can you glorify God? Now, there's a command here as the temple of the Holy Spirit to glorify God. How can we glorify God? We cannot give him any glory that he doesn't already have. We cannot add to his glory. He is glory, and we're going to see that very clearly, I believe, before we're done. He is the glory. So the way we glorify him is we reveal or we manifest, we expose what is true about his nature. We expose his glory, and that glorifies him. Are we good so far? Okay. In that case, go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 12. 2 Corinthians 3.12. This is going to be hard work. (laughs) Moving through this scripture that we're about to move through, you're going to have to engage this if you're going to get it. The glory of God has got to be engaged. This is not easy to wade through, but there is a blessing here. Trust me. So here in verse 12, it says, Therefore, since we have such a hope... We use great boldness of speech. Now, I just want to say, we're not going to teach on it completely this morning, but I'm going to put this out here. Biblical hope is not what we normally think of as hope. It's like, oh, I hope it doesn't rain today. It's not that. Biblical hope is actually more like assurance. We're the people of promise. So hope is a people who are secured on promise, and so we hope. But it goes on and says, so therefore, why? Because we have such a hope, we use boldness of speech. Now listen, then it goes on and says, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Okay, he put a veil over his face. You know why he did that? Just in case you don't know, we're already talking about the glory of God. You see, Moses talked with God face to face. And after he would talk with him face to face, he would leave and the glory of God would be upon him such that the people couldn't stand it. So he literally, he put a sheet over his head. <laughs> so because his face, he was like a light bulb. His face was glowing with the glory of God. Okay. And this is a type of what's coming, what we're going to see this morning, of you today, his intentions for you today. So he put a veil over his face. Okay, it says, but their minds were blinded for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. So just hold that. What takes away the veil? Christ. The veil is taken away in Christ. Okay, hold that. And it goes into 15 and says, But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Now listen. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now I don't know about you, but I spent a lot of time on that because that's a little bit counterintuitive to me. I would think that the veil would have to be removed in order to turn to Christ. Did you catch that? But that's not what that just said. That just said, when one turns to Christ, the veil is taken away. Now, listen, this makes sense when you meditate on this. And this is important. This is going to lead us where we're going. You see, Christ takes away the veil 
So when we turn to him, he takes away the veil. Now you can have the ability or the clarity to enter into the presence, to encounter the glory of God. Okay, so then go on with me. In verse 17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom for what? We cannot lose the context of this passage if we're going to go on this walk into knowing something about the glory of God. The context in this whole passage is the glory of God. And it says, in the Spirit there is freedom. So freedom for what? I'm going to suggest as we read on, I'm going to tell you the answer before we do it. It's freedom to become what he intends for you to be, which is a carrier of the glory of God. We should stop. I should let you meditate on what I just said for about 10 minutes. To be a carrier, the freedom to become what he intends for you to become, which is a vessel for the glory of God. If you think I'm stretching it, now I know there's got to be some people in here because the enemy attacks so much. There's got to be people in here, and I feel the same thing at times, where that creates a struggle right there. Okay, there's a worthiness problem that the enemy wants to give us a worthiness problem where we don't fully give Jesus Christ the glory of what he's done for us, that he makes us the righteousness of God, the carriers of his glory. We want to go, oh, I'm not worthy. I don't even feel like I'm worthy (laughs) to teach about his glory. So believe me, I get it. I had to wrestle with God to be to be speaking on this this morning. So I get it, but that's just in case you don't trust me, it's going to be in the text. Let's read on. So it's the freedom to become carriers of God's glory. We're just going to blow our mind over and over this morning. If you're anything like me, it only gets more mind-blowing. And then in verse 18, it says, but we all with unveiled face. You see, in contrast to Moses, we've turned to Christ, the barrier is removed, and so with unveiled face, now listen to these words, it's so important. I'm going to read a big mouthful and then we'll break it down. It says, Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit. Now, I know that's a mouthful. So this might be, I probably say this too often, but this might be the most mind-blowing piece of Scripture that there could be. Because listen what that just said. It says, with unveiled face, we're beholding the glory of the Lord as in a mirror. What does that mean? Now, think about a mirror. So if you're standing in front of a mirror, at least in part, what do you see? You're seeing your own reflection, right? So God's intention, what the freedom that is in the Spirit is to behold the glory of the Lord, to be in His presence in such a way that it's reflected on you back and forth. So listen, it's impossible to be in the presence of the Lord and not take up the presence of the Lord in measure. Is that good? Do you know the truth of that? It's impossible to be in the presence of God and not be changed. 
And this is telling us specifically that the change, the transformation, is that we're taking on the glory of the Lord. I know I'm challenging you because it's challenging for me. Some of you, if not all of you, are going to have to keep walking with me for for me to prove some of the things that I'm saying. And God willing, we're going to prove this out from the Word of God. Okay, So as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, His intention is that we become the glory of the Lord in this place. And it goes on and says, transformed, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. What image? The glory of the Lord, God's image. Can you believe that? His intention is that in beholding Him, you are being transformed into the same image as in looking into a mirror from glory to glory. That's what it says next. Transformed into the same image from glory to glory. What is that telling us? In other words, in other words, ever increasingly into the image of the glory of God in this place. With every word we add, it just becomes more and more mind-blowing. That's how he thinks of you. That's his plan for you. <laughs> I'm excited about this. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord, that is, that is his plan for you. Now, just in case there's a worthiness problem, because I know it's rampant in our world, because the enemy wants to give us a worthiness problem. Father, I pray that a worthiness problem would be shattered and destroyed this morning and that your righteousness would be revealed in such a way that we could actually receive it and be loved by you the way you want to love us. Okay, this is so good, so good. Romans, go to Romans 3 and verse 21. This is a lot more fun than I thought it would be. (laughs) Is this fun? (laughs) okay we're going to look at two romans verses and we actually these are the ones we looked at last week so we're going to do this quickly but it's it's really foundational i actually had a secret desire (laughs) that i was going to teach on glory this week and then starting next week we would do something else we would (laughs) and i just know that that's not what's going to happen so we're laying a foundation i can just feel it that's not what's going to happen so This is all very foundational. That's why we're doing this again. So here in Romans 3.21, it says, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Okay, just in case you're wondering, we are talking about glory. We are talking about the glory of God. And there are scriptures that talk about the former glory that that is in the law and the prophets and the greatly exceeding glory that is in Jesus Christ. Okay, we're talking about the glory here. And it says, even the righteousness of God, you have to hold that through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, okay? Righteousness on all who believe. Now here's why we're reading this. It says, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What do we fall short of? The glory of God. Yeah, that's what we fall short of. That's the missing of the mark of sin. Listen, when Adam and Eve 
sinned and experienced death, in other words, that separation of the presence of God, the glory of God, they fell short of the glory of God. Okay, that's what we're seeing here. And it says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, this is just foundational. I'm just, I told you I'd do this quickly, so I'm going to make sure I don't rabbit trail. But you see that what we fell short of is the glory of God. In other words, actually, I can help it. I have to do this. In other words, you are a vessel intended for the glory of God. You can't fall short of something that you're not intended for, that it wasn't his plan for you to be in. Amen? Okay. All right. Go with me to Romans 9 and verse 23. I'm not sure why I was scared. I am having so much fun with this. (laughs) What else is there besides God's glory? Oh, I see, and that starts with the word and. That's okay. The verse just before talks about vessels of his wrath, okay? Those who are not chosen. And then in verse 23, it says, and that, now listen to these words. We did this last week, but that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of his mercy. So what's his goal? What's he want to do? He wants to make known the riches of his glory. And how's he going to do that? By being on you. (laughs) The riches of his glory are going to be evident on you. That's his plan for you. That's how he thinks about you. That's how he esteems you. And he goes on and says, just in case you didn't catch it, it goes on to say, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. He's talking about you. You're the vessels that he has prepared beforehand for glory. Look at somebody you love and say, I have been prepared beforehand for glory. (laughs) Who struggled to say it? That's okay, you don't have to. He wants to share his glory. He says, he doesn't say bring your mat. He says, take off your shoes. He says, be circumcised. Open yourself because I've prepared you beforehand for glory. That's his plan for you. Okay, so everything we just did is is all about you. It's all about how your God who loves you thinks about you. Now we're going to look at Jesus, okay? If we're going to talk about glory, we're going to have to look at Jesus. And so go to Hebrews chapter 1 with me. We're going to start right in the beginning. And you see, if you're a vessel prepared beforehand for glory, and God's intention is that you are a carrier of that glory, then we have better understand something about what is glory? <laughs> what are we talking about? I mean, I carry what? God's glory. So, and what does that mean? So let's look at Jesus. That means Jesus. <laughs> and let's look specifically at what that means. Now, Hebrews is a book that, you know what Hebrews does. It takes all of the, the former glory 
that is the Old Testament. It's the whole purpose of the book and transforms it for us into the glory of Jesus Christ, into new covenant glory. That's what the book of Hebrews does. And it's right here at the beginning. It's just introducing what this book is going to do. And it says, God, who at various times and in various ways... Okay, in other words, we're talking about the former glory, the things of the past, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, Jesus. Okay, and it says now it's going to start describing his son, and this is going to teach us something very foundational about the glory of God. Okay, so talking about Jesus, it says, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. And now listen, starting in verse three, really let this soak in. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Okay, now that's loaded. I know that it is. So I'm going to do my best here. Lord, help me. So, who being the brightness of his glory, you can dig on the original language in that for like an hour and, <laughs> and still be confused, but I believe I finally got it. The brightness of his glory. Okay, is God's glory bright and shiny? Well, yes, it is. You can read in Revelations, and boy, there are bright and shiny pictures He, of uh, the transfiguration when his glory was revealed. It is bright and shiny, but, but that, is, that is not what this is really saying. The brightness of his glory is referring to the experienceable part of God's glory. Okay, something is bright. See, the light overcomes the darkness and the darkness cannot comprehend it. Okay, so brightness is the expressed part that a human can experience. It's the visual glory of God. It's the experienceable glory of God. In other words, what did that just say? Jesus is the experienceable glory of God, period. That's why he became a man, Emmanuel, God with us, so God's glory could be revealed. And then the second part, and, still talking about Jesus, the express image of his person. Now this one, we have to get a handle on this if we're going to go any further at all. The express image of his person. In other words, Jesus is the express image of, of the nature of God. He's the express image of his personhood, and that is the glory of God. Does that make sense? Now, I'm just going to talk about this for a minute because we have to get this. Um, there, there are all kinds of crazy things that have been done out there in denominations, and, and um, I'll leave it at that, that have been done with the glory of God. Now, something we have to understand is that there is no such thing as the glory of God without God. <laughs> does that make sense? In other words, God does not sit up there in the courts of heaven, in the throne room, and send out his glory. Okay, it doesn't work that way. He doesn't say, I'm going to send forth my glory. I'm going to sit, I'm going to stay right here, but my glory is going to go out. This is telling us that the glory of God is himself. Okay? So when we pray, Lord, fill this place with your glory, or 
We need the glory of God. What, we're, what are we saying? We're saying we need the presence of God manifest in this place. We need you, God. We need your presence to be right here in this place. And then the glory of God will be manifest because he will be present. There's no such thing as the manifestation of the glory of God without God being present. The glory of God is his effective presence in our midst. In other words, if you are to glorify God, then what? You are going to be a carrier of the person of God, of the presence of God. Somebody drop a pin. <laughs> it's mind-blowing, I know. I, I didn't even want to touch this subject, <laughs> but it's so good. Is it good? Okay. So it's the brightness of his glory. In other words, he is. He is the brightness of his glory. He's the experienceable glory of God. And the express image of his person. Now I'm repeating that again because as we move forward, it's going to be very important that you remember that, that Jesus is the express image of his person, the very nature of God. And we're going to see that as we go on. It goes on as we read this verse, it says, And upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, now listen, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. I'm really working hard here. This is, I'm going to do this. In other words, this passage just talked about the glory of God. And then it concludes here, or it moves into talking about how he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, how many of you are aware that the scriptures, whenever it talks about sitting down at the right hand of God, it uses the same language as he was glorified. That's the fullness of being glorified. He sits down at the right hand of God. Jesus is glorified in fullness. Now, you know what the right hand of God is? It's the seat of power. It's the throne of power. That's the right hand of God. All glory, all glory <laughs> issues forth from the throne of power, from the right hand of God. All glory comes from the place where Jesus sits. I'm going to skip. I'm going to do it out of order. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6. Now, this is why I'm emphasizing that. This is why I'm telling you that I'm, we're about to have our mind blown again. Are you ready? Jesus is fully glorified. He sits down at the right hand of God. His enemies become his footstool. His strong name becomes the name above every name. And we have a command to glorify God. How does that happen? Here in Ephesians, it says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that, actually, let's slow down. Seated us with him. Let's do this, okay? All glory issues from that seat. Do you see it? So if you're going to glorify God, there is only one place you can be sitting. With him. You see, that's why, that's why so much of the scripture talks about abiding and we are in him. Because, 
Because all glory is in him. And if we are going to glorify God, if we are going to be those vessels that have been prepared in advance for his glory, there's only one place we sit. In him. We are seated with him on the throne of power where all glory issues from. And then it goes on, and now now it's going to tell us the goal, okay? In verse 7, it says, in order that, in other words, because, so that, in the coming ages, that's now, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed. Earlier I told you, I want you to remember these words because you're going to see him again. We saw those words before. I'm not going to take our time on that. But it's saying the same words again. That his goal is to show the incomparable, this time it says the incomparable riches of his grace, which is the word charis. We often think of his grace as just that we are forgiven, that our sins are covered, that we're brought from death to life. And that's absolutely true. That is his grace. But there are also, like throughout Ephesians, it's, it's the word charis, which translates to his, uh, his effective power, his outworking, his gifts, his glory, the, the brightness of his glory, the experienceable part of his glory. His goal by seating us with him is that we would be the expression, the incomparable riches of his grace expressed And that's glorifying God. That's his plan for you. That's how he thinks of you. You are his inheritance. Is that unbelievable? I don't think we're going to get to it this week because I have too many pages. But as you continue, I have to mention it now. As you continue through this, you start to find out that this is all about a portion, it's measured, and it's inheritance, okay? I think we're going to be looking at that coming up, but the scriptures are very, very clear that you are his inheritance. The only thing that he doesn't automatically have because he loves you so much to let you choose is you, and he treasures you above all things. You are his inheritance, You are his plan for himself, for God to be glorified. I knew this would be hard. (laughs) This is so good, though. Okay, where do you want to go, Lord? Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to skip all the way to the Acts 8 verse. And actually, before we do that, if you want to start turning there, we're going to be in Acts 8 next, I think. But I have to do this. Do you know that the glory of God is automatically effective? Do you know that? You see, it's not like, it's not like God says, uh, I am going to send out my glory. And we talked about this a little bit. And these things are going to be accomplished because I'm going to send out glory. You see, that's not it. The word of God, when when Jesus taught them how to pray, you know what he taught them? He said, pray that my will would be done in the earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so let's do it like this. You understand that God cannot violate himself. Where he is, (laughs) the will of heaven is done. 
where his presence is, there is only life and health and freedom because it's his nature. So when he is there, heaven is there. You see, heaven is heaven because he's there. (laughs) The glory of God is there and it's automatically effective. He cannot be violated. I think we need an example. Okay, let's use this. When we pray for healing, now I don't mean for the, we can teach on this sometime, but I don't mean for the purpose of this message to be healing. But when we pray for healing, we're not asking God to send out a force. (laughs) Can you send some force down here to heal? When we ask God for healing, we are asking for his presence. We're saying, God, bring your presence. We need you right here. Bring your presence in such a manner that your presence is here. And see, when his presence is here, there is only life and health and healing. There is no death in heaven. There is no sickness in heaven. What we're doing is we're praying the way he said to pray. When we pray for these things, we're saying, manifest yourself, Lord. We need your glory. We need your presence. And when his presence comes, there can only be health. The light overcomes the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome light. When God is present, the will of heaven is present. It has to align with the nature of God, because God cannot be violated. I don't care what we pray. I don't care what we're asking for. We're always asking for the presence of God. That's the only way his will is done. That's the only way we glorify him. When we pray for the Holy Spirit and say, fill us with the Holy Spirit, we are saying, fill us with yourself, fill us with your presence so that we may be carriers of the kingdom of God. Amen? The glory of God is automatically effective because it's himself. It is him. It's not a force or a power. It's not something that can be owned. In fact, we're going to look at that here in Acts 8. And we'll start in verse 14. Now see, you understand, because it's devastating to think of God's presence or God's glory incorrectly. It's absolutely devastating. You can come up with all kinds of crazy ways of working out our faith. Ways where we think we can conjure the power of God or the glory of God by doing some formula. Or we can wield it or own it. (laughs) And that would be devastating. It's only in the presence of God that we are glorifying to God at all. So here we're going to read about Simon the sorcerer. Are you all familiar with him? Okay. So the context here is the church is in great glory at this time. And people are beginning to see the presence of God being manifest like never before. Jesus has accomplished his purposes and he sits on the throne and the Holy Spirit has been given into the church and people are seeing the glory of God, the actual presence of God acting upon people's lives. And they're blown away by it including Simon the sorcerer. Now gather this. Simon, just by the very fact that it says he is the sorcerer, it tells you that he is infatuated with power. He wants to be able to wield uh, like magic or something. And okay, so we're just going to start reading this. That's our person here. And in verse 14, 
It says, now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And it says, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, what we're reading there is it's actually not okay just to be baptized. God has a far bigger plan. This is saying that's a problem. And so therefore, they sent people to go and take care of the problem to baptize them so that they might receive the Holy Spirit and become vessels that carry the glory of God, right? And so um, it goes on in 17 and says, then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now in verse 18, it says, and when Simon saw, so Simon is witnessing this, okay? And so when he saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So what would you just read? It's going to clarify as we move forward. But this is telling us that he has a wrong thinking about God. He's thinking this glory of God, this manifest presence of God is something that you can just have. What does he believe? He believes you can have the glory of God or you can be a carrier of this wonderful power without it coming as a result of relationship with God where you sit in his presence, where the presence of God brings it. It's something you can buy or you can own. And you remember it's like a mirror. How, how do you... How do you become one who carries the presence of God? We read it. It's like a mirror, okay? It's in the presence of God that God is, becomes more and more from glory to glory. He's upon you because it is him himself. It's not something you walk away with and leave God over there. But Simon's thinking, I, I, don't, I have no interest in relationship. I just want to buy the glory, <laughs> right? Okay, this will become really clear here. Go on with me into verse 20. And so here's Peter's response. You can imagine that you're going to see some harshness here. But Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. And he says, you have neither part nor portion in this matter. You hear the word portion? That's going to be important as we move at some point. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness. Now, I want you to see something here. The idea <laughs> that you could glorify God or you, you could have God's glory, you could, you could have this effectiveness, any of this with by some other means besides relationship, besides the intimacy of Jesus, sitting and, and being in the presence of Jesus, the word of God just told you is wickedness. That's wickedness. I want to tell you, we're seeing this throughout our, I mean, it's as old, it's as, old as the earth, it's as old as God's creation, but we're in a revival right now of all kinds of wickedness all around us. 
Okay, nowhere does the Bible tell us that that wickedness couldn't be effective. One of them I've heard of, seems like a lot lately, I think it's very a, a huge influence in our local community, it's something called Reiki. Okay, I didn't waste too much time researching it, but it's this healing thing, this new age healing thing where you use stones and heat and, and touch. Well, look, they're stealing the things of God. Okay, God tells us, lay hands on the sick and pray. And they're stealing all of the things of God. And you hear testimonies of people being healed. But it's wicked, (laughs) right? That's what this just said. It's wicked. Nowhere in this text does it tell us that Simon is not effective in his sorcery. It It doesn't paint this as if he doesn't have any effectiveness. He's just... He's his power hungry. And he sees the glory of God and says, oh, let me buy some. Right? It's wicked. Apart from the presence of God. There's only one place where we, his chosen people, carry, receive the the presence and the glory of God. And that's his presence. It's not apart from him. Last week we talked about being at his table. It's at his table where the glory of God comes on to us as looking in a mirror. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. That's what he says next. Now, we could do a whole sermon series on that last line there. In other words, it's that path going deeper. All wickedness is born in the deepest places, in the places where we're broken, where we're wounded, where there's iniquity. Bitterness is woundedness. Okay. Now, I want you to see the opposite. Okay, we just saw an example of wrong thinking. You see, and we taught about that for a month and a half. Wrong thinking is what puts him in this problem place. Do you see that? That's why it tells us the transforming of your mind is how we prove the will of God in Romans chapter 12. Our mind has to be transformed. Now, obviously, Simon's mind needs to be transformed here. It's wrong thinking. Is it wrong for him to see the glory of God and be hungry by that? Like, wow, he's seeing the glory. And he's going, I want to buy some. Is the motive just in and of itself wrong? I'm going to suggest not. Simon is a vessel. He's he's a human being created by God. He's a vessel that was made for the glory of God. <laughs> so the desire is great. He just it, the text makes completely clear that he has wrong thinking on the glory of God. He has a love for power rather than a love for God. He has a love for glory rather than understanding that the presence of God is glory. He doesn't love the presence of the person of God. He loves the glory. You see that? Okay. Now I want to contrast with Stephen. We'll go to Acts chapter 7 and verse 51. We're going to look at Stephen. Now, you know, he, Stephen was martyred for his faith. And here we get a glimpse of, you know, the word of God says that his intention is to move us from glory to glory to glory, ever increasingly 
carrying the glory of God. That's his plan. Here we're getting a picture of somebody who has increased in glory. Let's just put it that way and start reading. So here in verse 51, Stephen is talking, he's preaching, and he's saying, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Okay, so what's he doing? He's he's issuing a full-on scolding. I mean, he's he is prophetically tearing into their, their wickedness and their failure to move in the move of God. So, of course, they don't like him very much. So in verse 54, it says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. And it says, now listen, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Now we just have to pause for a minute. This is going to lead to something that I believe he wants us to see just next. But just pause for a moment. Recognize that he is gazing into heaven and he's seeing the glory of God. In other words, as in a mirror, right? Remember this. As in a mirror, we move from glory to glory. So in witnessing, in seeing the glory of God, what we're going to read next is the result. Did you catch that? It's being in the presence. It's being a witness of. It's seeing the glory of God that brings about what we read next. I think of a scripture that says we will be like him when we see him as he is. I don't even know where that is right now. Does anybody know where that is? (laughs) First John. We will be like him when we see him as he is. You see, as in a mirror, he's gazing into heaven and he's seeing the glory of God. And when you see him, that is transforming. When you see the glory of God, that is the transformation. So I want to tell you, the only way you become one who is in the fulfillment and the joy, in other words, the intended purpose that you were prepared beforehand for to glorify God, the only way you do that is in his presence. It's an intimate relationship with the one who is glory, who sits at the right hand of the Father. That's the only way. You can't go off and work hard enough or do enough ministry or be holy enough, you know, holy like we usually think of it, avoid sin enough or some some crazy ludicrous thing like that. It's in the presence of Jesus that the glory of God comes upon you and you're a carrier of that. Do you know he intends that wherever you go, your work, your home, this church, wherever you are, that you bring the presence of of God into that place. That's how he thinks of you. That's his plan for you. In ever-increasing glory, you bring the presence, the ever-increasing presence of God that cannot be violated. Where you walk is life because Jesus is life and he's upon you. Where you walk is health because 
The person of life and health is upon you and he is with you and you're in him and you're seated in in him on the throne of power. So where you go, that glory goes. That's his plan. Wow, I saw you say wow. Wow, right? Get a handle on that. Okay, so here's what happens next. He's gazing into heaven and he sees the glory of God. He saw the glory of God. And listen, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, right? There's only one place glory issues from, from the throne of power where Jesus is at the right hand of God. So if he's going to look into heaven and see the glory of God, that's what he's going to be seeing. Jesus on the throne of power. And this is what happens. And, and he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now I'm going to read these words, and this I have an assignment for you. I want you to think where you've heard these words before that come out of Stephen's mouth. Okay? Starting in 57. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears. No, that's a crack up, right? They stopped their ears. <laughs> They're so opposed to him, they stopped their ears. I think of where you're going, la, 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 la. I have an eight-year-old. <laughs> they stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Okay, enter Saul. We're not even going to go there. Now here it is. Where have you heard these words before? And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Where have you heard that before? Jesus on the cross. You see, you understand, Stephen gazed, literally gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God as in a mirror, and the result was he is so much like Jesus. He has such the glory of God upon him. He has been transformed, remember the words, into the same image, so much so that the words that come out of his mouth are Jesus's words. The glory of what's happening in that scene is the glory of Jesus Christ for them people. It's the same love. It's the same image. I mean, it's not even like similar or sort of like. It is the image of Jesus happening for these people in this scene. The love of God, exactly as Jesus would do it, is happening. He's laying down his life and saying, don't hold it against them. Don't charge them with this. And he fell asleep. He gave up his spirit. So here's the takeaway. You are being transformed from glory to glory. His intention is that you are the vessel for his glory in this dark place. He knew your first day before, he knew all of your days before you lived your first one. He's got plans for you. He treasures you. And his intention is that you carry the presence of God in such a way that you are 
You are the glory of Jesus Christ in this place. For your family and your home and your business and your church, everywhere you go, his intention is that you carry the glory of God. Where you walk, the glory of God goes. Actually, I'm sensing one thing I need to say. If you have sat there the whole time during this message and you just cannot get over the fact that Jesus could make you worthy to be that in his plans because you're saying within yourself that like um, not me, no way I could be, I could be worthy to carry the glory of God. I'm going to tell you that's woundedness. That means the enemy has effectively attacked you and wounded you in ways where you're unable to receive the love and the plans, the good, good plans that Jesus has for you. It's coming to my mind, the scripture said, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And do you remember what that freedom's for? It's freedom to become what he intends for you to become, which is a carrier of the glory of God. It's not okay with us if you have not received the righteousness of Jesus Christ to where you know that you are worthy to receive the good gifts of God. Okay? So, it stops today. He's ready at every moment. He treasures you. He loves you. And it's not okay with him if you can't receive that. He died to give it to you. So believe me, he, he wanted you to have it really bad. He died to give it to you. <laughs> okay. Lord, we thank you for, <laughs> we thank you for your glory. And Lord, uh, we are hungry for you and your presence. We just bring to you our hunger for your presence. And we ask you, Lord, to, to fill the voids in our life with your presence. We're asking for your glory. We're asking for yourself to fill every part of our life. We want to see your glory so that we can be transformed by it. We ask that you would pour out your spirit in a fresh way such that your glory is transforming us into the walking image of your glory. Thank you for dying and raising to make that mind-blowing thing possible for us. And Lord, I just pray that you would remove any barriers. If there's someone here that needs to come and be prayed for so that so that they can have that freedom that you've promised. I pray that you would remove the barriers right now, that you would just give them the freedom to come and receive what you want them to have. In the strong name of Jesus of Nazareth, we pray, amen. <laughs>